And uh, we have, uh, we kind of got started in it, and then we are picking back up in that. And we've studied the first, I mean, this is the 50th chapter, so there are 150 Psalms, so we're a third of the way through it with, with regard to chapters, I guess you could say. And we've kind of done that in the summers over time. And so um, I think it's, uh, it's neat to be able to do that. I hope that you have uh, learned much from it. It's a blessing to be able to uh, study this together. And I hope today that you would just uh, be reminded of, of wonderful truths because the Psalms do bring out very uh, helpful things for us. And so if you would just pray with me before we get started. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for just a heart that can see. We ask for enlightenment, understanding. We ask for you to illuminate the room of our hearts. We know the Spirit does that. We can't do that. We're not in charge of the Spirit. John 3 says like, we must be born of the Spirit. And that the Spirit glows where He wills and we don't know where He came from or where He's going. We pray for that this morning. The Spirit would take dead, dark, sinful hearts, dead in their sins, bring life. We pray for some who are here today who need renewing where they are. Um, the light is dull in a way. And we would pray that you would make it brighter and that there would be greater understanding. And we just pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So there will be a final judgment. That's just important for you to know. There will be a final judgment. And you want to be prepared for it. I mean, that, that's, this psalm is about that fact. That there will be a final judgment and you better be prepared. And everyone here needs to know that. Some of you are maybe those kind of people that kind of fly by the seat of their pants. You know? And if you're doing something, you may or may not get prepared. You're like, we'll figure it out when we get there. This is not a figure it out when we get there kind of thing. It's just not. You don't want to figure this out when you get there because if you figure it out when you get there, it'll be too late. Jesus talks about those in parables. He will discuss the coming day and there's a lot of passages that talk about the return of Christ, and there will be people kind of at a party. There will be people at weddings. There will be people sleeping. There will be people doing all kinds of stuff. There will be people on the golf course. There will be people out fishing. There will be people out hunting maybe across the world in a different place. There will be people cleaning away on their house. There will be people cooking meals. There will be people singing. There will be people in church. There will be people everywhere. But what we need to understand is that the final judgment is no respecter of where you are. When that happens, 
when God calls everyone together, when all will see him like in all of his glory, and he calls us all to himself, it will not give you time. Like there's not going to be that warning signal. It's not like you're saying, well, didn't we set up one of those horns that go off every Tuesday or every other Tuesday by the house that lets us know that a storm is coming? It's not like that. It will just come. And in Psalm 50, we're saying there is a final judgment one day and you want to be prepared. And this is the interesting thing. God in His mercy wants you to be prepared for it. And so He does send alarms. And He sends alarms through His Word. And He sends alarms to the, like in these psalms, they were songs that would be sung. And the people would talk about it. They would sing about it. They would remind themselves of it. He used ways to help people do that. Now, the people that are the least, sometimes the least prepared are the ones you think are the most prepared. And so today, he's going to not speak to all those people out there who are what we would call opposed to God, not living for God, blah, 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 the world that we can't, some of you might say, well, they're just, uh, you know, I don't have anything to do with them, and they're, look at those wretches out there, right? And you're mad at them for, like, their thoughts about everything in the world, and you think that God would start with them, that's what everybody thinks. I mean, that's the rhetoric, right? You could listen to all kinds of rhetoric at this point about our nation on its way to hell, and you would think that God would agree with that rhetoric. And He would start where we would start. What we would call the low-hanging fruit. Right? But that's not where He starts. And that might be shocking to you. And it's not your natural kind of bent. Because you really don't like looking in the mirror. Right? I mean, that's honestly. You don't want to get up in the morning and look in the mirror. Because that might be too tough. Psalm 50 says, God starts with the house of God. So he calls everybody together and begins there. And here's the interesting thing. God is the prosecutor, the witness, the jury, and the judge of his people. That, I mean, that's what you see. And his judgment will be just. And guess what? There will be no defense. In the end, the defense doesn't exist nobody says anything they just don't the scripture says all mouths will be silenced why because he has x-ray vision and he can see it for what it really is 
So this morning is really not about you if you've not really grown up in church. It's more about those who have. Those who think they're better off. Those who are always looking outside and saying, those people. It's really one of those things. It's a mirror. And it says to us that God is bringing judgment. It is scary because what's so frightening about it is when He calls everybody together and you're ready for Him to execute judgment on the wicked world, He starts executing judgment on the righteous people, so-called. Sitting there proudly thinking they're okay. They're smiling and smirking at the world as it all everybody's gathered together because they know where they're going and they've been waiting for the day does that shock you it's kind of psalm 50 you know they were to sing it so they could remember it okay four scenes in psalm 50 scene one the court is called into session Scene 2, and that's verses 1 through 6. Scene 2, the first defendants are charged with formalism in verses 7 through 15. Scene 3, the second defendants are charged with hypocrisy in verses 16 through 21. Scene 4, the court's decision is handed down and we see judgment but also mercy. There's this way of escape. It's kind of how you would see it. So, let's think about that real quick. If you're here and you haven't really thought about these things very much, what are we talking about? We are saying for most of us, there's the people out in the world, there's people in the church. We are saying that church people a lot of times think they're good because they're church people, right? And they have all these values and beliefs that nobody else has, and they're like, they're going to be good in the sight of God. And we're saying that one day there's going to be a judgment, and God's going to call everybody together, and all those people who think they're sitting in the choir, standing behind God cheering, and saying, finally we got these people. God's going to begin with them. That's what we're saying. Is that cool? Not so cool, but I mean, it's, it's clear. I mean, it's clear in the text, right? That's what we try to do here. It's clear in the text. Look at the text. That's, that's what we try to do here. Look at the text. Look at the text. What does the text say? We use, try to use biblical language, biblical text, and make sense of that. If the text says it, if the Bible teaches it, we don't back away from it. We're trying to say, what does the text here say? Verses, what, what, what does, listen, what does God say to us? That's what we're trying to see. Verses 1 through 6, the court is called into session. He starts with God, the Mighty One. God, the Lord. Listen, E-L, like if you were to look in the Hebrew, which I'm not in any way a good, I mean, I'm not much help there. I did study it, but you know how that is. Like, you studied Spanish in like eighth grade. You know, you still know that? You know, it's like, But El, and then Elohim, and then Yahweh. Those are the three names here, right? So a lot, El, Elion, you might see that sometimes, like God Most High. It kind of shows His power. Elohim would speak of God as really, when you see in chapter 1 of Genesis, as creator over all. 
And then uh, Yahweh would be like the name for God's covenant name with his people. And so there's this idea of this expansive understanding that the all-powerful God is the one who commands everything and who is in relationship with his people. That, that's kind of what's going on in that. So that's who he is. So when he speaks, he is, not, he is summoning all in a collective way. He's saying, everyone come here. Uh, it's time, it's judgment day. From the rising of the sun to its setting. What is he saying? Go, look uh, from the east to the west. That, he's calling all on earth to come. He's calling from Zion. If you remember in Hebrews, we said there's a kind of a, a connection between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, and we're saying Mount Zion is the place of God dwelling with His people in a very powerful way. God is standing there. Mount Zion is kind of like His holy throne. And He is commanding everyone, everywhere to come. He is calling all nations to come. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation, everybody come. And it's a glorious event because you're seeing the holy God who is now speaking and summoning. Nobody says, I'll do that next week. It's 4th of July weekend for crying out loud. It's not that. He calls all creation together. When they come, they'll see this devouring fire and a mighty tempest, which reminds you of Mount Sinai. You will see this glorious picture of the God who is, who was, who is to come, the fullness of all, the great I am is there. And, and what we'll see just when you're thinking about that, his, he, when he shines forth, it's like he is seeing into all things. You see his glorious, this glorious picture. And you see almost this glorious picture of him being able, that eye to reach out and touch in the deep into the hearts of people, and then this storm that could come down with crushing judgment on you. It's shocking. It is awesome in the... I'm awestruck, and in in, in, at one level, it's a frightening picture. Remember what the people said? Don't let him speak to us anymore. We don't want to hear him speak. So he is there. He's put this on display. He has come and brought all the peoples. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth. So here, here's the deal. Everybody, not just earth dwellers, not just humans, everything. Everything that He has made. The angelic uh, host, all, everybody, everything in heaven and earth. The whole cosmos is His. He's calling all to come together. Y'all come that He may judge His people. That's hard for you? You come and see that he may judge his people. Verse 5, 
Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. So they're all coming. But he says, gather to me those who are in covenant. Now, we're, we've got to think about that a little bit. We don't spend a lot of time on it. But you understand, we're talking about the old covenant people, but we can like understand what's taking place. But the picture there is, remember, the old co- and new covenant people, the old covenant people, they said we will uh, follow the Lord. All that the Lord has said we will do. That's what they said. And they made sacrifices, right? Now you here this morning, if you are in Christ, you come under covenant. And the covenant is you're saying all that, all that God has said, like in Christ, all that he has accomplished, I am trusting in him. And all that he says for me to do, I will do. I am walking in covenant with him. So we could make some distinctions. We're not going to this morning. But just know that God himself is the judge. He calls his, in a way you could say, professing faithful ones. Those who are professing faith, who say, I'm I'm in, I'm a part of this, I'm following the Lord, I, I know the Lord. So he says, let me come now and we will judge them. They will give an account. You could write this down, 1 Peter 4.17 speaks of judgment beginning in the house of God. Now listen, this is what Peter says. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now again, the gospel is good news. Like, What will be the outcome of those who do not hold fast to Christ? Those who are not walking with Him. Those who are not submitting to Him. Those who are not yielding to His Lordship. Those who are not saying, I'm going to follow Jesus wherever He leads me. What will be the outcome for these people? So the court is called in the session. All are there, both in heaven and earth. And the scene then moves to the first defendants who are charged with formalism. Again, we don't have time to go through every little section of this today. But I just want you to think, in verses 7 through 15... You want to see these people, how formal they are. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. What is he saying? He is saying this. Just because you, on a regular basis kind of well let's just move it into our context go to church and give the money and serve in some way just because you do those things doesn't mean you're a part of the people of God it does not mean that you will not fall under the judgment of God 
just because that you have spent your life kind of like halfway dialed in. Just because you grew up in the church doesn't mean you're a part of the people of God. It does. Now, here's the thing you could say well, does that mean that stuff doesn't matter? It's like, no, it matters. It does matter. God doesn't have issue with their sacrifices that they did all the time. He has issue with their hearts. God doesn't... There are some people that have a handful of things that they do. Man, it's so easy to fall into this. And like the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, they tithe mint and dill and cumin and they they're doing that with this insane like intensity but they don't really love people they don't really love people i mean that would be an example but they're so religious doesn't that make up for it they're really religious but they don't love the things if they're not passionate about christ all they want to do is to make sure that they do the bare minimum to, or, or maybe even a little bit more to, to ensure that they're okay so that they can go live their lives the way they want to live them. So they're real religious, they're doing their stuff, and they, they, they almost like, have you ever had somebody where they fell in love with kind of the worship they fell in love with the way they did church. They don't really care about Jesus. If you were to talk to them very long, every time it's about the next rule of worship. And whether you transgress it or not, that's all they could... And you, you would say, hold on just a second. Is it about that or about Him? And they're like, well, let's go back to that. It's like, what are you talking about? So they're kind of fall in love with the religion or the religious aspect of things but not in love with Christ and they think sometimes here's the deal if they're a deal maker what they'll think in their head is I've done all these things as if God needs them to that's what's so funny doesn't God need my money doesn't God need me to do this what would happen? He would be so lacking if I didn't do this. And God's saying like, you, are you crazy? Do you think I need your stuff? Do I, you think I need your animals? I own them. You're going into the grave before long and the animals will still be there. Do you think I need your stuff? Are you kidding me? The only reason you're doing this is to try to get your heart to catch up with the, the reality that I am king of everything and I deserve worship. I'm putting those things in the practice for you so that you can learn to love me. Those are the process to help move your heart towards me. You fall in love with them and you leave me, you're going to stand in judgment. So he's saying fall into that process fall in love with that and you're way away from it really just because God hadn't said anything just because life's going good for you right now and you call that the blessing of God you 
better wake up is kind of the picture. So again, today is not for the person that doesn't think about spiritual things. This is like the religious cat that just kind of is doing his thing. He thinks he's okay. These are for the people going through the motions. One guy said ritualism, minimalism, nominalism, and formalism kind of drive their life. Hmm. Clearly the goal here is to do the right thing for the right reason. That's what God wants. God will judge both actions and motives. He will judge the deed and the heart. God is not God knows exactly why you do what you do. God knows exactly. Here's the thing too, you may have already fooled yourself. I mean, have you ever met somebody who thought like they don't even really know they really think they know why they do what they do but they don't really know. Spend a little time with them you think they don't really know. They just don't know why what's really motivating them. It is not a love for God that motivates them. So he judges both deed and heart. This bright shining of God is looking into the hearts of men. And the storm surrounding him is him executing judgment. Now, why would you need to hear that? Because y'all ever struggle with that? (laughs) I mean, don't we? You struggle with like, let me get a good religion I can manage. Then I can like measure my little religion that I can manage against you and you don't live up to it. And so now I can say, oh, I'm in good because I've been around all those heathens at that church. I'm better than them. Okay, so scene one, the court's called into session. You think God's going to judge all the wicked people of the world? God starts with his people. He says to these people who have gathered, those who are professors of like following the Lord, he says to the person that is very meticulous about their religion, he doesn't say that's wrong. He says, though, you're, there's a danger there where you will start to believe and almost try to make a deal with me thinking that I need you in some way and you'll start to believe in that stuff more than you will actually drawing close to me. And you will, you will take minor things of the law and not major on the major so that you won't maybe even love anybody, but you'll keep tithing. Uh, I tithe every week. I don't care about anybody. He's not saying that tithing doesn't matter. He's saying that like if you live your life, just I'm dialing it in, doing the thing, but I'm not pressing in to God and His people. It's like, come on, man, wake up. Scene three. The second defendants are charged with hypocrisy. Now here's, these people are actually called the wicked, which gets into a different thing. It's like uh, one is almost, uh, you would almost say like, hey, sober up. You you have competing loves. The other one is like, oh, goodness gracious. You know, Uh, so, but to the wicked, God says, what right have you to, to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. Okay. Have y'all ever met good have y'all ever met good talkers about spiritual things? They get good at it. They learn the language. They carry around little cards in their pockets, theological terms that I can use. 
and they're flipping through them so that they can be like, I know this one, you know, and I know the four points behind it. Mm -mm -mm. I mean, they're just kind of moving through. Uh, again, we're dealing with the people of God here, and there are people like that who uh, they know all the stuff, and um, they can kind of recite it, and yet they hate God's discipline. Now, what, what does that mean? Um, it, it's, it, I think that the simple things of obedience and training from God are things that they just don't care anything about. Like the simple second half of the Ten Commandments. Th those things. It would almost be like, you know what, like you start talking to somebody about lying, be like, dude, we have passed, we all know we're not supposed to lie, bro. Let's talk about the, the, deeper, thi the deeper things, you know, whatever, what are those, you know, the deeper, let's get to the deeper, deeper stuff, right? Leave, leave that. But he's saying, no, 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 hold on just a second. These people, they can uh, recite this stuff and they, they say, oh yeah, I identify with the people of God. And, um, and, and, and speak like I'll do all the Lord has told us to do, and, and they know all about it, but they really want to just cast the Word of God behind them. Uh, they, don't even, they can't even really see it almost anymore. Uh, they are so rebellious. Again, we're talking about the church folk, and that's kind of uh, the issue that we're dealing with here. They might be very orthodox or kind of understand everything about the Bible, they just don't really, they're kind of heartless hypocrites. They say they're in it, they're not in it. Again, each time you look at this stuff, you say, my goodness, like, I, I can see myself here. It's supposed to be a mirror. This is supposed to be a mirror to help you see the areas. You could say, man, I'm all in that and scare you, you know? And then you could say, whoa, hold on a second. I can see in this area where, man, it just kind of hit me. Either way, what's it to lead to? It's to lead you to be sobered up. And we'll talk about what that fully looks like. Anyway, um, so he says, For you hate discipline, and if you see a thief, you're pleased with him. You keep company with adulterers. Your mouth is free reign for evil. Your tongue frames deceit. What's, you, you sit and speak against your brother. You slander your mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Now, here's the thing. What is he saying? He is saying these sins, which I say like are basic Ten Commandment things, what's sometimes called the second tablet of the law, these things are just uh, common things that everybody should know. Uh, we sh and, and, but we know we struggle with them, but we know... Yeah, everybody should know it, and we should not keep company with adulterers being like, a, or a thief. It's almost like you don't want to dwell among like wicked people. Psalm 1 speaks of that, where it's almost like you're, you're alive with that. So it's, it's almost like you don't want to steal in any way. But these people have thrown that aside. But he's saying like godly people do not want to steal in any way. They want to be pleasing to God they, want to, they would never want to take anything. They would want to do an honest day's work, that kind of thing. The adulterer is one who's like, you want your whole heart clean. 
and pure before the Lord. You want it right before the Lord. It's not just sleeping around, but it would be also uh, any sexual sin would be embodied in that. Your mouth giving free reign for evil. You say, I want to purify my tongue. I don't want to slander others. And sometimes you might say, well, I'm just telling the truth. Yeah, but the truth is, we can't, slandering is wrong. It, it is a way of concocting things and spitting out poison on people. It, it's, it's a scary thing to be someone who would slander others, attack them with your tongue. And these people don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be sharpened by the Word. Do you know what they want to do? They want to keep looking outside the door and look at all the people that they see out there that are so wicked. And it's so much more fun to not look in the mirror, but to look out there and say, man, those bad people out there. And you're like, well, and some of you may feel justified because you hang out with people and that's all they do all the time. The problem is that's not what God says. That's not how God did it. God called everybody together and started with the people in this room. I mean, that, that's a shocking reality, and I think we need to see that. And so what do we say in here when we're putting all this together? God is saying here is you think because I haven't said anything that I'm indifferent and you are okay. You think I'm forgetful. You think I'm lazy like you. You think I'm like kind of agree with you. You think I'm not really that big on sin. You think I don't think that what's going on in your heart is as important as what's going on with your hands. But you're wrong. He will judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart be ready for God to look upon every aspect of you and see you for what you really are if you're good at your religion going through you're checking it off check 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 I must be good with God he must be happy with me he needed some stuff and I sent him a check if you think that's cool or you think you know what he's not said anything everybody does it and you're just kind of out living an ungodly life but you can still talk the talk he's not cool with that either he's not just not cool with it he will bring judgment on you fourth scene mark this then you who forget god lest i tear you apart and there be none to deliver like you may be jabbering the stuff but you have forgotten Him. You do not know Him. Mark this, you who forget God. I am a lion. I am a lion. I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. On the day of judgment, people will be begging that the mountains would begin to crumble and smash them so that they do not have to bear the judgment of the Son. When He comes with His, his sword, He will crush all wicked, rebellious people. Wake up. Mark this. Understand. You who forget 
God, you who are dialing it in, you who think that coming to church saves you, you who are looking past sin in your life over and over and over and thinking it's no big deal and God's not saying anything about it. Listen up. Mark this. May this be a marker in your life. May you look back to it regularly. You who forget God, you better beware because when the lion comes, he's not just coming after the wicked, rebellious people of the world. He is coming after the wicked, rebellious people sitting in church. And when he comes, no one's delivering them. Because who could stand? The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. God has been patient with you. God has been patient with me. And he is calling us with a humble heart and with thanksgiving for what Christ has done to be broken over our sin, broken over our formalism, broken of our, over our immorality, and coming as a sinner in need of a Savior. He is saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden before it's too late. That's, that's what he's saying. Because the greatest enemy to God and his people and his purposes are generally what, you know, in this world are not the people that you think they are. Sometimes the people that are looked the most religious are the most opposed to God. And guess what? He knows it. So if you have not put your hope and trust in Christ, if you are religious and you do not really know Him, and if you are immoral and you're dialing it in, turn to Christ today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask for wisdom to see our own lives and hearts. In Christ's name, Amen.